0: very transparent before you for just a few moments. Um, I I think I shared this a few weeks ago that when you come to what we call special days, emphasis of special days, sometimes those are the absolute easiest messages to prepare and sometimes they're the most difficult messages to prepare because it may not be that you've been thinking along this line until you're just right up at what we would call a holiday or a special day event. And so, all your study and preparation in another vein has to be moved out of the way. And then you, start, then you have to simply begin to try to uh, absorb some information that creates inspiration. That's the thing as a pastor. You want something that sparks inside of you that will potentially inspire the listener. And today is a day that I have certainly prayed in my private devotions for God to help me to be able to share with you. Now... I I stand here today very grateful for uh, the privileges and the freedoms that I enjoy and we enjoy as Americans. And I stand on this platform today as a veteran of the United States Air Force of nine years. And so I'm grateful for for that. And I'm amongst other veterans. And any time that you show or say or do anything that is related to the military, um, certainly... There, there is a, uh, a lot of different feelings and even opinions that can surface in the hearts and minds. One thing I'm very cognate of is that we have combat veterans. I was not a combat veteran. I, was, um, I enjoyed a lot of time off in the Air Force, let me just say that. They said it was a great way of life, and it really was. But nonetheless, I was always aware that there were those that, that weren't enjoying they, they, were, they were really, you know, being confronted by a, not, not just a pretend enemy. You know, I've been in the face of pretend enemies. That's as far as it went for me. But there are those that I worked with and served with and that I observed from afar who went much, much closer. They didn't face pretend enemies, but those were real bullets that were flying back at them. And, 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 and yet they still, they still have those feelings and traumas and emotions sometimes. So I'm always cognizant when we address anything related militarily. You know that I pray for those that uh, have, you know, this. when you think about um, events on a, on a battlefield somewhere, for many of us it's nothing more than a movie. It's, it's a theater in our mind. But it's not for some. For some it's a harsh reality of a memory, a vivid memory of a, of a very difficult day and of a horror that they saw and survived and so today we're certainly going to remember we're going to remember those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice I know that every veteran here among us today um, you know has something in their heart where they're very thankful that they're here They're here, that they serve, especially those combat veterans. But even those that weren't in combat, you were just one phone call away from being in combat. You were just one uh, order from your commanding officer to go and to be here, to be there. So every veteran has something in their heart and their mind as well for those that did pay the ultimate sacrifice. So today, um, I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture, Okay, And I'm going, to ming- I'm going to mingle this with biblical understanding and extract from it a passage or two of Scripture that I think can perhaps help us just a little bit. And um, I want to ask you, I'm going to go ahead and let you remain seated for just a few moments here in the reading of the text. Because we're going to read about 12 or 15 verses collectively all together, maybe actually a little bit more. Let's go to the book of Romans, and and I want to just set the the precedence by reading here for a moment of time in the 13th chapter of the book of Romans, because I want my stimulus to not just be born of my patriotism. I want my stimulus to remember today based upon a biblical conviction that allows for patriotism. Does that make sense today? And, And so, in the 13th chapter of the book of Romans, Paul writes as it is to... The Roman Church Concerning Governing Authorities. And as we read this, and this is familiar with many of you because we give emphasis about your Christian civic responsibilities. We're not a church that's unafraid to talk about a Christian's involvement in government. We're simply not that church that doesn't ever talk about those things lest we offend somebody. I have a deep-seated conviction. It's my responsibility. Uh, Christians need to be actively involved in the government of whatever nation that they 're a part of, but especially a privileged nation like America, where we have the right yes. and the privilege to be a part of government and so here paul as Paul writes this, remember he 's writing this as a as a Jewish man who 's followed the sect of the Nazarene Jesus who "...is grieved over the occupation of his nation, the nation of Israel, by Rome, who he, like all others, consider a pagan government, yet he also uses his Roman citizenship for his advantage as necessary." So Paul writes, and he speaks, "...that every soul should be subject to the governing authorities." For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And we're not going to debate or dialogue, we're not going to dissect this verse of Scripture, and we're not going to question about the evil authorities versus the good authorities. We're simply talking about authority in general. Therefore, whosoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. God does use, God does use it seems to us, in His sovereignty, He does use government as a force of um, limiting, perhaps not totally destroying evil. It says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And the reality is many governments practice evil is our trust that God and his sovereignty will what, raise up another people group that will always be able to stand against those governments who have oppressed either their own people or other peoples. Does that make sense? And I want to be on the side of good. Come on. In our Star Spangled Banner, I think it's on the second stanza, it speaks about if our cause is just, then conquer we must. And I trust and I pray that the cause of uh, America's pursuits, oftentimes, I pray, is just. Maybe debatable at times, but I pray that it is. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for your conscience' sake. For because of this, you pay taxes. If you ever had a time to groan, perhaps that was it. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear. And notice these last four words that Paul closes this particular emphasis here in the book of Romans, honor to whom honor. Now, I know that we can make that application of honor to those that are serving our country in various means, especially elected leaders, very respected elected leaders, such as governors or even uh, vice president, president, and Congress and senators and those things. But today, our honor is reserved to those that have paid the greatest of sacrifices. Now, I'm going to take you back to a passage of Scripture, and I want you to see something. For this is what I think about for a moment. Um, Is it possible, um, very quickly, uh, Angie, I'm going to go to 2 Samuel first, rather than that one last of Scripture in 1 Samuel. 2 Samuel for a moment. I want you to see. For We know today is Memorial Day, or tomorrow is Memorial Day. And with that, we are remembering. And I want you to see for just a moment the mournful sound of a man who was a warrior himself, who was moved by the news that his brothers had fallen in battle. And this is none other than King David, he who faced Goliath with nothing but a sling in his hand and a stone in his pouch and faith in his God, and who rose to the kingship upon the death of Saul. But when he hears Saul, the jealous king who had sought to take his life for many years, making David a fugitive in his own land, in his own country. Um, When David hears the news that Saul has perished in battle, the 11th verse captures these words. It's the verse 11 and 12 first. It says, therefore, David took hold of his own clothes and he tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and they wept and they fasted until evening for Saul. Now notice who they mourned and wept and fasted for. For Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel. Why? Because they had fallen by the sword. Now the 17th verse, this is David's lamentation. This is his cry. This is a song that he pens born of his sorrow. Sometimes songs Are written in times of celebration. Sometimes they're written in times of anguish and mourning. And David writes this, Psalm pins it. It's to be sung, it's to be remembered. David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. These are the words The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places, as he remembers Jonathan, David, or excuse me, Jonathan, Saul, and the men of Israel. How the mighty have fallen, tell it not in Gath, which is of the land of the Philistines, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, the Philistines who were responsible for Saul's death, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for the shield of the mighty is cast away there, where Saul had fallen in battle." The shield of Saul is not anointed with oil. It's from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. They were courageous up until their final dying breath, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. Now remember, this is a warrior who is reflecting upon the violent deaths of those that he was a comrade to at one time. And in their death, these men were not divided. He gives great homage, and he honors them in this psalm or this song. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, for he clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places, for I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Jonathan. For you have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful, surpassing the love of a woman. We know of the comrade covenant fellowship that David had with his closest of comrades, Jonathan. Note these final words of the sweet psalmist of Israel as he mourns the loss of not only these two valiant men, but also others that have fallen in combat along their side. It says, How the mighty have fallen the weapons of war are perished you know i think it was solomon that said there's a time to rejoice but there's also a time to cry there's a time for laughing and there's a time for sorrow and i think david is expressing the emotion sorrow at this moment one last passage of scripture to stand with me so that we might pray collectively together i want to think about this for a moment this is not necessarily to the Again, it's always, I never want to do anything to diminish the service of veterans. Not only veterans, but those that are in the active service of our country today. I never want to diminish that in any capacity, being a father of two young men who are in some level of service to our country today. But when I think about you and I here today, and then I think about those who serve or who have served, I almost put it in the context of a sheepfold for a moment. Because I think about in the sheepfold, I think about the perimeter. I think about the inner fold, but I think about those that are on the edge. You know, you and I here in the heartland of America here in the Midwest or Southeast, however you want to look at it, um, you know, we're in the Bible Belt. Uh, there's, there's a lot of protections and privileges that we have. For the most part, we... Many of us don't lock our doors at night. I didn't say I was one of those. I simply said many of us. You know, we, we, we recognize that they're living in the rural America like we do. Uh, we're not as under a, a greater threat as there are those that are under threat today. And I think about that because I'm here, but somebody's out there. Somebody's way over there. Somebody's on the perimeter protecting those of us that are in the inner fold. And those are our men and women that are in service today, and those are our men and women who have been in service today, or in the past, and those are the men and women that paid the ultimate sacrifice. And read this one verse of Scripture. And this is simply not a direct application, but it's referring to David's army. It's referring to David's army here. And this is men that were camped in the field with sheep, And they are giving credit to those men who watched over them while these shepherds were in the field with their sheep. They gave credit to these warriors. They said they were a wall to us both by day and by night. Today I'm grateful for the men and women that have served, are serving, and certainly aren't alive today to allow us to give them honor to the ones that have been a wall for us. How many of you believe that and you feel that protection because of their service? Today we are going to remember. Let's remember. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I'm grateful to be here, honored to be in this house. I pray that already the attention of my church family is already captured. Their minds will not race to anything other than the speaker that's in front of them and the doctrine and the context that is being shared so that we can all give, Father, the uh, the honor to those who sacrifice so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. For just a moment, I will not give you a history lesson. Sometimes I like to do that. But I just want to make sure we're all in a common agreement. What is Memorial Day? Memorial Day certainly began as Decoration Day. It's still practiced here in the, in the United States where it began uh, as a time to honor those during the Civil War that had fallen first in the South. It began later to the Union soldiers. And um, the, the practice of decorating graves on Memorial Day or Memorial Day weekend is still held by many, especially in rural America, to this very day. Actually, I received a text from one of our dear members of our church family who told me, Pastor, I'm going to be with my family for the, its decoration day and they're going to be having Decoration Day at a funeral. To honor those that have fallen in combat certainly is the heart of what is now known as Memorial Day. It's distinguished from Active Duty Military Servicemen's Day, which is the third Saturday in May, often overlooked. Not a national holiday, but just a week ago on Saturday was the day that we should have been remembering and thinking about those that are in service to our country right now. November the 11th, we distinguish today from November the 11th. For on November the 11th, it's the day that uh, in Germany, that World War I came to an end on the 11th minute of the 11th hour of the 11th day. And so with that, with that, Veterans Day is the day that we recognize all who have served and they deserve that honor. But today, we want to pay homage and honor the memory of those who made the greatest of all sacrifices. Let's go farther. The Bible teaches, did you know what we do here today? The principle of uh, having a memorial or a remembrance or the context of lest you forget is deeply woven into Scripture. The very principle of bringing up things of virtue and honor that have passed by bringing them into your cognate memory is a biblical principle. You read the Word of God, you'll find well over 150 times in the Scriptures, remember, lest you forget, do not forget. The word memorial appears many times in the Word of God. You know, God put a rainbow in the cloud to remind all of us of the day that the earth was destroyed by a violent flood. Jacob erected a stone pillar and poured oil upon it as a memorial stone to the presence of God that, he, uh, that, that met him there at Bethel and also the promises that were made to him. The Jewish people for thousands of years share a Passover meal as a memorial to the fateful night that the Passover lamb was first slaughtered and the blood was applied to the lintel and the doorpost and the death angel passed through Egypt delivering the Israelite people from 400 years of bondage. That meal is a memorial of that moment. Joshua would set up 12 stones as a memorial to Israel's crossing into the promised land. So think of it this way. Passover was a memorial for God bringing them out. The 12 stones were erected as a memorial for God bringing them in. But in all, God wants his people to remember things, to not forget. Part of the offerings and the sacrifices of ancient Israel were a memorial of covenant promises. We may all remember that just the very final week of Jesus' betrayal and death and ultimate resurrection, he was at the house at Bethany where... Martha was serving, Lazarus was seated at the table, but Mary brought in an alabaster box of very precious ointment, broke it, poured it upon his body, and when they were talking about what some believed a waste of the resources that could have been used for other things, Jesus said, Wait a minute. He said, This woman has anointed my body for burial, and wherever this gospel is preached, no matter what nation, tribe, or tongue, no matter what continent you're standing on and you're proclaiming the gospel, let this story be told for memorial to this woman. So memorials have deep uh, expected impression on our hearts that we, as I thought about what's the purpose of a memorial? First of all, I believe it's to give honor because I think we need to, at times we should give honor to those whom honors do. due. That's what Paul said. The men and women that we are giving honor to do today, those men and women gave a sacrifice that none of us here today gave. Even for the combat war veterans here today, thankfully their life was preserved, but many of their friends did not survive. So we give honor, we have value, and we esteem their sacrifice. Number two, the purpose of a memorial is so that we don't forget. King James English, lest we forget You know, it's just 75 short years ago that the world was in war, not a skirmish, not a little conflict, not an isolated battle between two third world nations, or not even what you see happening in the Middle East today. We're talking about 75 short years ago the world was at war. And millions, and this is not an exaggeration, millions and millions of people would perish in the flames of war. We cannot forget. Number three, we must strive to teach a new generation. We need to teach a new generation of the values and the principles of freedom. Because there's so much around us trying to pull them right from our very fingers. It's our responsibility to teach our sons and daughters that the privilege that you enjoy as an American have come at great cost. Amen? So those are the purposes of memorials. Today, American service men and women have often paid the greatest sacrifice. Can I share with you today just a few statistics and even a few uh, uh, interesting statistics that caught my attention? Just very quickly. There have been around 1.2 million Americans that have perished in all the war since our nation was first formed. Going back to the Revolutionary War, and I'm going to read these very, very quickly, 4,435 soldiers perished. The War of 1812, 2,260. The Indian Wars, 1,000 soldiers, which caught me uh, by surprise. I suppose that the uh, Henry rifle proved to be a lot more effective than the bow and arrow In combat, for only a thousand uh, American soldiers perished. The Mexican War saw 13,283 perish in war. The Civil War, with conflicting reports from uh, a lighter estimate of 498,332 men to 618,000, which is the greatest number of casualties that our American men and women have ever suffered in combat. The Spanish-American War, 2,446. World War I saw 116,516. World War II saw 405 and 399,000 men and women lose their lives. Korean War, 54,246. The Vietnam War, 90,220. The Gulf War, 1,565 and the continual war on terror at the time these statistics were produced by the Department of Defense in May of 2015 6,852 and tragically that number has increased from that time until this time bringing the number over at least 1.1 million Americans paid the ultimate sacrifice they deserve honor today church family they do now, this past week, I read a book not for patriotism purposes, not because I was seeking inspiration for a Memorial Day message, but because Miss Karen Smith, who just said amen, gave me this book or loaned me this book a few weeks ago, and I have not had time to start it. But I found myself having some uh, time this week, and I, I read a book entitled The Killing of the Rising Sun as it recounted the story of uh, America and our combat with the Japanese Empire during world war ii initiated first with the bombing of pearl harbor and culminating with the with the surrender of the japanese aboard the USS missouri uh many many years after that initial bombing and there's a few things and of course i was uh just two or three things these are not necessarily tied exactly to memorial day but i just wanted to share these are not necessarily um these are not fun facts in anything any way capacity but they're 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 startling first of all in the context of a POW when you look at japan the japanese were the isis of their generation they were literally brutal they were the, everything that you think about isis today with the beheadings and the maimings and the killing and the starvation is nothing more than and the raping and the pillaging of villages and and cities and the was practiced by the japanese and the japan and the japanese held in captivity, prisoners of war, American prisoners of war, 27,465. During the time they were in captivity, 11,000 of those men died. 11,000, bringing that to almost half, not quite half, more than a third, approximately 40%. Contrasting that, With the number of prisoners of war held in Germany, 93,941 men were held in captivity during World War II at the hands of Germany, but 92,820 survived, bringing the number to 1,121 who died, contrasting that with the brutality of Japan. It seems that the Germans valued the life of the Americans more than the Japanese. Number two, oddly enough, I find this a tragic irony. My heart wrenched when I read this for the very first time. During the time that the liberation of the Japanese islands had taken place or the the conquest of the Japanese islands and the liberation of those American prison of wars and English prison of war uh, men were, were liberated, there were 900 that were aboard 30 airplanes when Typhoon Ursula blasted through right before the official surrender of japan and it caused those airplanes that had 900 pow's to crash in the violent waves and all 900 were tragically lost after having survived years in a prisoner of war camp number three very quickly today i found this very interesting in the context of giving honor y'all with me here today church family now I've got some things that I feel like I should share with you in just a moment. It won't take me long to do so, but please stay with me. I found this interesting. The USS Missouri was the aircraft, or excuse me, was the aircraft carrier, the battleship, excuse me, the battleship that the Japanese surrendered on or signed the, the terms of surrender. And uh, but prior to that, just months earlier, it had survived a kamikaze attack. And I know many of you know what the kamikaze attack was. And uh, it was uh, the equivalent of what happened on 9-11, but in a much smaller aircraft that they were being used, in essence, as a flying torpedo to try to destroy the great battleships in the Pacific, right? And it would certainly cost the life of the Japanese soldier or the aviation pilot. The Missouri had survived a kamikaze attack without loss of life and very little harm to the ship just months earlier than being chosen as the ship for the surrender of the Japanese. And in gathering up and cleaning up the debris, they discovered the body of the 19-year-old Japanese aviator had piloted his aircraft and had chosen to use it as a weapon. Captain Galligan, the captain of the Missouri, believed that the boy was doing his best in his service to his country. And so men of the Missouri, sewed a flag with a rising sun, made it themselves, sewed it on ship. They held a funeral service, including a rifle volley. They put the flag over this fallen military uh, aviator from Japan, and crews saluted as he was dropped into the sea. For even these men found honor in their hearts for someone who was giving his life for the service of his country well today on memorial day or memorial day weekend for us if we can use that this is how i feel this is my personal thoughts to you for just a few short moments and this is a pastor who is uh patriotic not a patriot but patriotic and a veteran these are the things that i feel number one the history of the world is marred by man's continual conflict The reality is if you've ever studied it and certainly if you've been there and you endured it, you could attest to what I'm about to say. War is simply hell on earth. I I, I bow my head in my personal devotions and often close my ears in just stark horror and and to think about what it must be like to be in that wartime environment. I, I cannot contemplate and I grieve. The history of the world is marred. Number two, unfortunately, most wars are fought over ideologies that are possessed in the minds of a few distorted, tyrannical people. Let me just go a little farther. Most people in every nation, tribe, and tongue simply want to live a quiet and peaceable life. Maybe not in all godliness. Maybe not holding the same values that you and I hold to. Maybe not believing in the Christian God that we do and the, and the cross and the blood of Jesus. Maybe they don't hold the things as, uh, as truth that you and I do. But most people just want to live a simple life. I don't know if he's here because I can't see with my glasses. But sometimes Billy Dunbar comes, Billy and Kathy. And Billy shared with me uh, years ago in a conversation with him. Billy worked in Iraq, in the rebuilding of Iraq... And he actually was there with the... Has anybody ever heard of the the eye in the sky? I think is what it was. It was a great uh, balloon that went up over Iraq. Men would stare into a screen where cameras were on the balloons searching to protect the... uh, or to take notice of any potential terrorist activity. So men were looking closely for for, uh, 30 minutes at a time. They wouldn't leave you there, but 30 minutes at a time, then you had to be pulled out before you could go back. And so Billy shared with me after watching life unfold in war torn Iraq, he said this. He said, Most, most of the people are kind of just like us. They just want to take their kids to the ball game, they just want to practice their religion in peace. But unfortunately, wars are fought because of the deep seated ideologies, oftentimes, of a very few distorted, tyrannical people. Does that make sense? Unfortunately, even when war is a result of a despotic monarch and his lust for more power, his lust for more wealth and resources, many people, military and civilian, will die, will die to pursue or to protect the interests and the mandates of their own nation. It's a part of the tragedy of war. Number three, Christians, a Christian's true nation. I'm a child of God today. I'm a child of God. And my true nation is the kingdom of heaven. I'm a citizen, come on, of another citizenship, of another nation, of another. Come on, this world is not my home, they used to say. I'm just a passing through. Come on, like Abraham, we're sojourning. We're sojourning in the, come on, we're looking forward to a city. I could preach right there whose builder and maker is God. I could. And so, but at the same time, even though I know that, I have an earthly responsibility to be a good citizen of the nation in which I dwell. And every Christian around the world holds to that same responsibility. And so 1 Peter 2 says that we are to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Remember Peter wrote this knowing that brutal Rome was the government that, had, uh, that was controlling all the, 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 the nations around him. Whether it be to the king as supreme, Peter writes. It is tragic. But this is the irony of it. But a Christian soldier may find himself firing upon a Christian soldier of another nation who is simply fulfilling his conscience duty of service to his country. Number four, of all the nations of the world, in my personal opinion, there has never been a greater nation than the United States of America. That's my personal opinion. We are a constitutional republic. Let me go ahead and bring clarification. I certainly uh, cannot debate with anybody in the forms of government. We are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. We elect leaders, representatives to share our values in forming government. And in the words of President Lincoln, it is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. It's a nation whose founders noted in the Declaration of Independence from Great Britain, we hold these truths. I hope we hold these truths. That's why we cannot forget. That's why we must pass them to the next generation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of of happiness. Today I'm grateful that we are a nation whose promise to its citizen is freedom. Freedom. Freedom that can only be understood in contrast to the brutalization that many citizens have endured while oppressed by their own leaders, by their own laws and by their own people. Number 5, America has never been perfect nor will it ever be. I'm not up here with blinders on saying that America has always made the right and the most moral decisions. Certainly there have been blemishes upon our history, I'll name but a few. The treatment of many Native Americans is a blemish upon the history of these United States of America. Slavery is a dark blemish upon the history of these United States of America. Let me go further, though, to elaborate upon that. Slavery has plagued mankind since the beginning. Slavery has never been isolated only to the, American, or to the African slave trade. And as horrific as slavery was, and I can't fathom it, and you can't either, of what it's like to live your life in bondage to someone else. And it is a dark mar on the history of this great nation. But... In retrospect, let me say this. America is one of the youngest nations on the planet. And less than 100 years from our conception as a nation, we fought our bloodiest war to abolish slavery on our shores. And we fought it alongside while Great Britain was doing their thing. And the end result of America and Great Britain ending the slave trade have helped end or reduce slavery worldwide. Thank God. Today, if you're a slave in America, you're a slave to sin. But I got good news for you. Somebody died to free you of that bondage too. Come on, somebody. Amen. Another dark mar in the history and fabric of our nation is racial prejudices held by many even to this very hour, and in many cases are still applied, plight, are still applied for our nation. I don't ignore that. It's there. It's a reality. A dark mar in our history is over-harvesting of natural resources before proper conservation. Almost, I mean, think about, there were 20 million bison running free across the plains of the United States. The over-harvesting left less than 1,000 before conservation took place what it would be like to be out hunting you know my son-in-law Lace out in kansas right now looking for a turkey what would be like if he if all of a sudden you know there a big bison come rolling along and it was free to you know i mean it was a harvestable It's like i didn't get a turkey he'd be calling amber amber i didn't get a turkey but look what i got so we over harvested our wildlife our precious metal our forestry, and our fuels before proper conservation. So there are; these are a few. You could make your own list, and there are many others. However, despite these Mars and the fabric of our nation, I believe in my heart of hearts that America is still the greatest nation Amen. on the face of the earth. Amen? Let me speak this about America today. America is the most merciful, benevolent nation since the creation of the world. You tell me in the history of mankind... When one nation has spent more money, millions and billions of dollars helping other nations. Helping their enemies that we just fought and vanquished in war. Choosing not to control them, but to empower them. The fight for freedom, we have spent millions and billions of dollars. We have helped nations recover from disaster, natural disasters or war and pestilence. We've helped other nations become industrialized, and we have helped other nations learn to respect and to value human rights. Thank God for America. Other nations, now I see this. It kind of, it kind of aggravates me, but I'll just throw it out there. there. There's some success of other nations who have different governmental ideas. You know, you don't have to be the constitutional republic that we are. You don't have to have some success as a nation. Right, I mean, I understand that. If people come together in agreement, a lot of things can work if people will just agree to make it work, right? So let's go. But, but I want to say this. There are other nations, especially small nations in Europe, that succeed, and they will never tell you this, but I'm going to tell you today. They succeed, even in uh, with even a little bit of hint of socialism, and some it's way overboard socialism, but they have some success in their country, not because of their... Uh, of their a belief in their governmental structure but because of the strength of the united states military say wait a minute no because they're such a small nation they could never put up an adequate defense to to stand against uh the communism that's still present in the world the previous nazism that sought for world domination and they certainly can't stand against radical islam So they've got some success, yes, and they will never tell the cameras, oh, it's because of America's military. But I come along to tell you today, it's because of America's military that they're able to have some success as a nation. Number eight, there's only 10. Today I'm reminded that any freedom, any privilege, any benefit that you and I have as an American citizen came because somebody fought Somebody successfully withstood Nazism, communism, despotism, and militant Islam. And today, I recognize and I honor and I pay homage to those who paid the ultimate sacrifice for my freedoms. I recognize. This is my personal conviction. This is the cry of my heart. I recognize that I have a, a very blessed family. I have privileges and opportunities. I have things that I enjoy. Joe and I will talk about the Razorbacks and our sporting world, and we'll talk about turkey hunting and different things like that. I recognize that while I'm enjoying a little bit of joy in this life, somebody never came back from a battlefield to give me the opportunity to hold my family dear and to enjoy these freedoms and these privileges as David said, or what was said about David's men, they were and they are a wall for us day and night. Don't you forget it, church family. Two more, every veteran, an active duty guard and reservist who dons the uniform and served, has served, or is serving honorably should be honored. They should. However, but today, we reserve and we show our greatest respects to those who never returned to enjoy the privilege of being an American. We honor them today. This is my last and concluding point. I simply titled my message, Today We Remember. I'm going to show you a two-minute video in a few moments, just a couple of moments. And I've asked our own Dr. Brasfield to come and close in prayer. But I want to say this very quickly. As a veteran who was... In the military for many years. Not all service men. And service women. Are moral people. I'm just going to be honest. I've been amongst those men and women. Not all have a life. That should be followed. As an example of good conduct and virtue. Some have made poor. And even horrific decisions. While wearing the uniform. Of these United States of America. I'm being honest. But let me say this. But those who died in service to our country have displayed one of the greatest of all virtues, sacrifice, sacrifice at the deepest level. Jesus said this. Jesus said this. Listen to this very carefully. Jesus said these words. No greater love can a man show than he will lay down his life for his friends. Those men and women... They lay down their life. They have laid it down for us, for your grandma and grandpa, for your children, for your right to be in the sanctuary, for your right to have a Memorial Day picnic tomorrow, for Tim's right to run the bowling alley, for Chelsea's right to work at the school. Right? Right? For Jill's right to be a, home, uh, a, a business owner right here. I'm looking out, best I can see with these glasses. For every citizen here, for your right, for what you do. For Brother Larry's right to have a farm. Somebody. Somebody didn't escape the bullet. Somebody didn't duck fast enough. The wall wasn't great enough to keep the shrapnel off of them. The bullet-piercing armor was pierced, or the bullet-protecting armor, whatever, was pierced. Somebody's Humvee ran over a roadside bomb. And they died in sacrifice for the freedoms that you and I hold to today. And it is the Christian thing to do. To stop and remember. And to thank God. To thank God for the privileges that we enjoy. And yet at the same time, to prayerfully remember their families, their children that won't ever know the love of their father, or perhaps even their mother. A father like me that may never get to see a son come home. While I watch sports on Memorial Day. Church family, let's not forget. Life is very frail, it's fragile. It's a gift from God. And there is evil in the world. And there are evil men that want to take your rights and your privileges from you. But thank God there are those that squared their shoulders back. They held a gun, they drove a tank. They flew in an airplane. They served in a hospital to stand against that evil and that tyranny. And today, I can't speak for every church in Hebrew Springs, but there's one church that I want to encourage. Let's not forget their sacrifice. I'm going to show a concluding video. So was very well done, 2 minutes and 35 seconds, by a church called Oasis Christian Church. And following that, Dr. Brasfield's going to come and he's going to say a concluding prayer. Now, please, let me ask you this. Let me ask you, many of you, leave when prayer is going on. I don't know where you have to go that you can't stay and pray. But today, of all days, don't leave. A couple minutes that Dr. Brassfield's going to be on the platform is not going to interfere with your day. Add your agreement, pray for this nation. Pray for our servicemen. Pray for the families that lost loved ones. And honor and remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. I'm going to ask if somebody would hit the light right there. Billy, there's a